morning. It is great to be here with you again. I hate the circumstances this time. I hate that, that Jason's not feeling well and, and in talking to Bethany and realizing that he didn't even feel well on the way to the graduation and um, just continue to keep him in your prayers and uh, just I know I, I share a lot of the same sentiments that you guys do for him and his family. They are just great people, right? And then sometimes when someone pours out as much as he does into his studies and his children and, and to this church, you just have times like this where you just get knocked down. So just uh, continue to keep him in your prayers and uh, in your thoughts. <clears throat> so I was leaving a meeting um, with one of my clients about 5 p.m. Friday, and I had a text from Jason asking if I would do this today. And at first I thought, well, that's not bad. You know, I've done several Mother's Day sermons you kind of have that one stowed away. And I told Megan I was preaching. She said, you're not going to do the same Mother's Day sermon you do every, son every <laughs> Mother's Day, are you? So I, uh, and I'm kind of known for being a glutton for punishment. So between Friday at 5 p.m. and up to just a few minutes ago, I've been working on something different for today. So I've got all kinds of notes. We'll all be going back and forth. So this is an experiment. So Jason might listen to this and say, oh, what did I do? He should have just came sick. But Mother's Day. It's, it's actually a very complex holiday because as we were talking about earlier and we passed out the roses, it is for a lot of us and for many of you here a good day. A day to reflect and remember warm times with your mother. Times of her waking you up and reading you bedtime stories and being at all of your school programs and sporting events. And now some of you, it's a warm feeling because you're experiencing it and you're doing those same things your mother did with you. Or you're now a grandmother and you're getting to remember those times with your children, but now you're getting to kind of experience it but at a, a different level where you get to do all the loving and the spoiling and you don't have to worry about the disciplining as much. But there's another aspect that Mother's Day represents for a lot of people. For some, it's, it's a reminder of a very hard, cold, harsh relationship in your life. One with a lot of regret. One that brings up anger. For some people, it's, it's a constant reminder that even though they wanted to be, even though they prayed about it, even though they paid lots and lots and lots of money to try to become one, they never were able to be a parent. For some, it's, it's a feeling of, oh, I just, I just wish I could go back and change a lot of things. I wish I would have known then what I know now. And so when you think about Mother's Day for what it really is, and you get past it being this hallmark idea of everybody has this just glowing, amazing relationship with their mother, we realize that this actually relates a lot to God's relationship with his children, God's relationship with us as the church. And one of the first things you learn about motherhood and you learn about God's relationship with his children is that it's not always what it's cracked up to be, right? I remember Megan getting me one of those books around this time last year when we found out that, that she was pregnant and the, 
first thing one of these parenting books, Welcome to Parenting Books, said was, write down all of your expectations and all of the feelings you're having of what a parent's going to feel like. And so it has you spend about 10 or 15 minutes and you're writing down all these thoughts. And the next page said, now rip up that paper and realize none of those things are going to be like they seem. <laughs> and while funny, it's true, right? A study was done by some doctors at UCLA a couple years ago where they interviewed and, and gave some poll or gave some um, questionnaires to some, some young ladies that either wanted to be a mother one day or to some that had tried to be a mother but were never able to become a mother. And one of the first questions on there was, why is it that you want to be a mother so poorly or so badly? And the number one answer was because it's going to make my life happier. Other studies have shown that actually while motherhood and parenthood bring a lot of things to your life, especially in the first couple of years, happiness is not the number one. <laughs> the number one, and this is, this is serious, real studies, is disappointment. And a lot of that disappointment doesn't so much derive from the relationship with the child itself, but from a false perception of what we thought it was going to be. That life's going to be exactly how it was. And now I'm just going to have this child that's going to do everything I want it to do. It's going to sleep 10 hours a night. It's going to eat all the food I put in front of it. It's not going to need diapers because they're going to come out potty trained. And that's exactly how it's going to be. But those sleepless nights, those nights of not knowing how to calm this child, creates disappointment, creates self-doubt. And you don't have to talk to people very long to realize that a lot of people, whether they realize it or not, what they say in talking about their experiences of early parenthood especially, that that was the truth for them. I think about some of the conversations that I had with people right after finding out or as we even got closer to having Easton. I remember a lot of older people in town, some of the, the comments, whether they realized it or not, came across kind of negative. Are you ready to never get to travel again? Are you ready to never sleep again? And I remember thinking that, haha, it's kind of funny, kind of sad, right? That some of these people that now have children that are 30, 40, 50 years old, when they're talking to someone that's about to have a child and enter parenthood for the first time, the first thing that comes to mind for them is the things that they lost. And so when we really dive into what parenthood is, we realize that it's a complex issue. And that's why Mother's Day becomes a complex holiday. I, I Google searched the last two days what is, who, who, or I just put in the most disappointed parent in the world. And I was, I was curious as to what would come up after looking through a lot of things. I, I think that this letter that this guy in Great Britain wrote to his adult children probably took the cake. It says this, dear all three, and he lists his children's name, I'm not going to say them, it is obvious that none of you 
has the faintest notion of the bitter disappointment each of you has in your own way dished out to me and your mother. We are constantly disgusted with each new chapter and verse of the lives that you are living. We look at the happy and successful lives of the families of our friends and relatives and being asked of news of our own children and grandchildren make us sick to our stomach. I can now tell you that I for one, and I sense mom feels the same, have had enough of being forced to live through the never-ending bad dream of our children's underachievement. I want to hear no more from any of you until you feel inclined you have a success or an achievement or a realistic plan. I am bitterly, bitterly disappointed. Love, Dad. <laughs> and, and, and while maybe kind of funny, we, we all know that deep down that, that, that is sad. But it also pins the question for us, where do you go with a heart? that's disappointing. Who do you go to? Who do you discuss it with? We live in a world where hearts get broken all the time. We're always disappointed in something. We're always disappointed in relationships. And we're here today to find out where is it we're supposed to go. The Bible is actually the story of a parent who has a really good reason to be disappointed in his children. I mean, this letter that we're about to read in Hosea is the letter of a dad that actually resonates with the letter I just read you from this man from Great Britain. The Bible is a story of a God, of a creator, of a heavenly father who has profound reasons to be disappointed in his children. Yet he responds in a way that is beyond the comprehension of any of us here. This is a book that we're about to read, chapter 11, by the prophet Hosea. But God is trying to talk about his relationship to the human race, to his people, and he uses this picture of a parent and the children and disappointment. So I want you to turn to Hosea 11. Hosea 11. It says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to images. It was, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk taking him by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck, and I bent down to feed them. Now maybe said a little bit differently, but do you see some of the comparisons to this letter and the one we just read? I had these high hopes. They were going to be straight A students. They were going to play on the varsity team. They were going to be those that went and visited the shut-ins. Instead, 
They chased their own dreams. They chased their own gods. They went and they went after success in ways that was not in the way that I had planned for them. And they have no idea the disappointment they've brought me. He continues in verse 5, Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them, because they refuse to repent? Swords will flash in their cities, will destroy the bars of their gates, and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even if they call to the Most High, he will by no means exalt them. And when you really look at what God is saying here, and you realize who Israel is, and you realize that that's his church, that's his people, those are the children he is sending Jesus to die for. You do some self-reflection and you think about the disappointment that you've caused the Father, right? And maybe it, it makes you to dwell on the relationship, as we talked about earlier, the complex relationship that your relationship with your mother can be, and you think about, what was my part in some of that? What was maybe some of the disappointment that I caused? And you think, where's it going to go from here? What's the next thing he's going to say? But then you see who God really is, expressing the disappointment, but then saying in verse 8, but how can I give up on you? How can I give up on you, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adama? How can I make you like Zebium? My heart is changed within me. All compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One among you, and I will not come in wrath. Amen? See, in this world, the way it works is, if you please me, then I'll love you. If you make me feel good about who I am, I'll give you something that makes you feel good about who you are. But the reverse of that is if you hurt me, I'll hurt you back. But God says, that's not who I am. That's not who I am as a parent. You can hurt me a hundred times, and I'm going to love you a hundred and one times. You can cut me at the knees, and I'm going to continue to come back to you because that's who I am. And that's the example that he said for parents. And I think one of the best examples of this was written by a children's story, one that can play at the heartstrings, one that maybe a lot of you read to your children, one that maybe you were read to, it was read to you as a child, I know it was me. And it goes like this. A mother held her new baby and very slowly rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and while she held him, she sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always. 
as long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. And that baby grew, and he grew, and he grew, and he grew. And he grew until he was two years old, and he ran all around the house, and he pulled down all the books off the shelves. He pulled all the food out of the refrigerator, and he took his mom's watch and flushed it down the toilet. Sometimes his mother would say, this kid is driving me crazy. But at nighttime, when that two-year-old was quiet, she opened the door to his room. She crawled across the floor. She looked up over the side of his bed. And if he was really asleep, then she picked him up and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. While she rocked him, she would sing, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. This little boy grew, and he grew, and he grew, and he grew. And he grew until he was nine years old. And he never wanted to come in for dinner. He never wanted to take a bath. And when Grandma visited, he always found a way to say bad words. Sometimes his mother wanted to sell him to the zoo. But at nighttime, when he was asleep, the mother quietly opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor, looked up over the side of his bed, and if he was really asleep, she would pick up that nine-year-old boy, rock him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and while she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. And the boy grew, and he grew, and he grew, and he grew, and he grew until he was a teenager. He had, a, he had strange friends, and he wore strange clothes, and he listened to even stranger music. Sometimes the mother felt like she was the zoo. But at nighttime, when the teenager was asleep, the mother opened the door to his room. She'd crawl across the floor. She'd look up over the side of his bed. And if he was really asleep, she would pick up that great big boy and rock him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, while she rocked him. She would sing, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. And that teenager grew, and he grew, and he grew, and he grew. And he grew until he was a grown-up man. He left home, he got a house across town, but sometimes on dark nights, the mother would get into her car and drove across town and if all the lights in her son's house were out, she opened his bedroom window. She crawled across the floor. She looked up over the side of his bed. And if that great big man was really asleep, she'd pick him up and rock him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. At this point, it seems like mom's getting a little carried away, right? The story gets a little bit creepy, but she would <laughs> rock him back and forth and sing, 
I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. Parents are that way, right? Well, that mother, she got older. And she got older and older and older. And one day, she called up her son and said, you'd better come see me because I'm very old and sick. So her son came to see her. When he came to the door, she tried to sing the song. She sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always. But she couldn't finish because she was too old and she was too sick. So the son went to his mother. He picked her up and he rocked her back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he sang this song, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my mommy you'll be. And when the son came home that night, he stood for a long time at the top of the stairs. Then he went into the room where his very new baby daughter was sleeping. He picked her up in his arms very slowly, and he rocked her back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while he rocked her, he sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. And while it's a funny book, it's emotional, right? Because in a weird way, that's the story of our God. That's the story of the God that gives us life. And the even more ironic part to this is that story doesn't end there. The author of this story is a man named Robert Munch. And Robert Munch, when he was in the fifth grade, was diagnosed with a very, very severe case of bipolar. And he now reflects back on his childhood years, and he says that his bipolar syndrome got so bad at times that he remembers, as a fifth grader, writing letters to God where he said, God, I just am so depressed. I don't even know if I want to live as a fifth grader. By the time he was a senior in high school, he was also diagnosed with being OCD. And trying to balance being OCD and bipolar drove him to a point where the only way he could cope with the pain was alcohol. And this led him to Alcoholics Anonymous. And his whole life was a life of trying to deal with the demons that he had no control over. But he got to the point where he was getting better, he was getting healthier, and he met a girl, and they got married, and they had their first child, and she went the nine months, and the child came, and the child was stillborn. And so they tried again, and they got pregnant again, and the baby came this time, and again, stillborn. And he says that as he thought about this, as they were never able to have children again, and he thought about never getting to hold his child, never getting to go to ball games, never getting to do any of these things, he wanted to write this story that his love for those children were forever. He wanted a story where love was greater than death. And that's the story of God's love for his children. 
His story is that his love is greater than death. So regardless of what your relationship is today with your mother, regardless of what your relationship is with Mother's Day, if it's one of bitterness, if it's one of hurt, if it's one of anger, remember that God gives us opportunities to not be blinded by our disappointment, but find love in your story. Find opportunities to share the love today that God has put in your heart. Don't let hurt relationships, don't let disappointment, don't let life not being what you planned it to be keep your story from being one of love as God intended it to be. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. We're thankful to have such a good, good Father who loves us through all of the disappointment that we cause him, through all of the mistakes that we make, through all of the times that we continually choose ways that are not your ways. But we're thankful that your story is one of love. We're thankful that your story is one of forgiveness, of mercy, of grace. And we ask today that regardless of, of where we're at, regardless of what our relationship is with Mother's Day, that even if it is one of disappointment, we're able to not be blinded by that disappointment. We're able to see the life that you give us. And that we're able to have our story reflect your story. That we're able to be people that give love. That we're able to be people that give life. That we're able to make this community a little bit more like your kingdom. We ask that you be with all of us here. We ask that you be with those that are struggling with this. And you give them the opportunity to find love and comfort in this place. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.